Genre. Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man, one self-experimenting minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Zach Luna. And I'm Jay Malone from Geek by Night. Hey, Jay, welcome. Thank you. Very Thanks happy for to be being here. with us, man. Yeah, we appreciate yeah. it. Good to have you. Uh, um, so today we are going back to minute 16, which starts with Strom uh, warning Norman that the performance enhancer enhancers are not ready and ends mm-hmm. with Norman whining that the straps are too cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right off the bat, <laughs> I got to point out that Strom says, I'm asking you for the last time. Don't do this. That's not asking. No, he doesn't yeah. like follow that up with a question at all. He's just like, no, there's no question. <laughs> you can that, that's you, a demand, actually. That's not. Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of see him swallow that for a second. Like he says, "I'm asking you for the last time," and there's the, just the tiniest hint of a pause there. Where he's like, "What am I asking? Don't do yeah. this." <laughs> like you can see the instinct in his eyes to like ask a question there, and then like, "Oh right, yeah, that's not what the the next line of the script is." I gotta. <laughs> I gotta say, don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do, do it. it. Type away on that uh, computer with the display. Um, this is a pretty, this, pretty. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's fairly dry, uh, sciency talk for most of this minute. Uh, when, yeah, it is. But yeah. I think there's there's some interesting stuff in here. So so mm-hmm. one, um, I love that the performance enhancers look like the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle mutagen. Canister. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all I can think about every time I see this. Is it's just like that's is this yeah. uh, what is that? What was that? T T T C R I? Is that what that something? place was called? Yeah. Yes. Something that like TCRI. that. Now it's now yeah. it's like CX a thousand zeros nine or something like that. Um I, it also I, it reminds liked, me of like fancy wrapping paper. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I liked how optimistic Norman was about the serum going into mass production because everything had five digits. Uh-huh. Was, this is bottle number nine, but we're going to make thousands of these guys. This is going to be great. <laughs> He's just ready to go into full swing uh, industrialization mode. Yeah. Um, um, it is uh, just a lovely sort of like classic, like brash decision making, like, you know, yeah, uh, comic. Yeah. Like not comic booky in a, a derogative way, but just like a comic booky mad scientist type scenario where like, no, we got to try it's this. Like a, it's like a universal monster yeah. kind of Deal, yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. Dr. Jekyll or a, you know, Frankensteinian type of, um, yeah. you know, playing God with, uh, right. with the formulas. And I mean, that. I think and, the Dr. Jekyll comparison is uh, pretty on point. I mean, yeah, 
that's fairly apt. Like, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty pretty accurate yeah. as to what is exactly going on here, or is about to go yeah. on. Spoilers. Yeah, um, spo- if you guys haven't but, seen uh, Spider Man before, you <laughs> don't want to tell <laughs> you too much about. A big surprise. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. It's like what could happen um, here. So Strom says, "Just give me two weeks so I mm. can find a staff and a volunteer." Okay, I have, I have, I have many questions about this because number okay, one, let's unpack that. Yeah, you, you, you work for a company that has hundreds of employees. Why do mm. you need to hire a staff? That's question number one. Yeah, that's okay. Question number two. Question number two. The volunteer. I, I mean. What? Why not just use Norman? Like the staff thing, I understand for safety precautions, but why not just use Norman if he wants to be the volunteer? Like, just let him. Like, I don't. Yeah. It doesn't seem like Strom has any strong feelings toward Norman, so I don't. I don't understand. He has this weird, like, uh, like he's almost acting like he has like a weird unrequited crush on norman the way that yeah, yeah. he's sort being like, so protective of this guy a, like a gaston and lafoe type of a moment <laughs> yeah <maybe>. yeah <laughs> a little bit um, um i don't know and then he knows he knows yeah, good yeah. and well and then he knows uh-huh. good and well the two weeks will be too late as norman points out in just a yeah. second but he knows he was there when the guy said you have two weeks to have a." Uh, an effective human trial two weeks or I'm shutting everything down. So he knows uh-huh. starting the experiments in two weeks is way too late. Yeah. So, so he chooses that exact amount of time to, to, to offer to Norman. I mean, he, he's not the most perceptive dude, but I think he's trying to like, uh, I mean, I mean, from a, Textual analysis perspective, I think he's trying to uh, stick up for proper scientific method and rigor and, uh, you know, put the brakes on the crazy machinations, all that. But I think just from like a storytelling moment, it's like, you know, we got to have somebody to reiterate this uh, when we swing back into Oscorp. And uh, uh, he's filling that function fine. I think we kind of whistle past the the weirdness of it uh, in this minute here. Like it, I, it, I've never dwelled on, it's never like stuck in my brain while watching the movie that like, right. Oh yeah. Why doesn't he listen? Why didn't he <laughs> like pay attention yesterday or whenever they got this news? Um, right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe for him, like two weeks is like, I, I need, like we have our staff here at Oscorp or whatever, but I, if we're going to take this back to formula and get it up to scratch in a super amount of like, close amount of time i'm gonna try to like headhunt like the best and the best uh from like various universities or something like that like people on cutting edge tech stuff like that like maybe if we could like get us a, a super team together we could do the whole thing over again in, in a week or something mm-hmm. like uh, it, it like a last ditch hail mary something or other i don't know um what do you what do you think jay in terms of like uh norman's insistence on doing it himself like why not just let norman do it well, I, th- I think, like, you know, if, if you look at like the history of the character and, and, and what you see with him in previous scenes, he, he's an egomaniac, mm-hmm. so he's going to want to do it himself no matter what. Um, you right, would think right. that Strom would know that working for the dude, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of like and, yeah. and I think this goes back to the LeFou Gaston thing. He, you know, LeFou knows he understands yeah. that Gaston oh, yeah. is full of himself and that's part of what's endearing about <laughs> him. And you, you'd think Strom would, Strom would know that, too. Um, it's not his first day at the job. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely not. I would hope not, at least, not working on the serum on day one. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So, but I, I think, know. you know, it's, it goes... It's a moment, yeah. Go one ahead. of the things I noticed is that you can you can clearly tell in this scene who's in charge because Norman's lab coat is the longest. Like, <laughs> oh, by a good six inches yeah. over Strom. Uh, so... <laughs> He he's uh he's throwing it out there like saying hey this is a bad idea I know we've only got two weeks left but um mm-hmm. hey I want to protect my severance package let's not have you die um, right right that he'd be on the hook a little bit more if a, a higher up exec dies during this scenario than like a random test subject or something I suppose yeah. like it's self preservation more than it is Norman preservation maybe well no I think there's definitely some Norman preservation in there because there there's mm-hmm. definitely some kind of uh you know stars in his eyes whenever he he looks at at Willem Dafoe mm-hmm. um yeah but you know just I mean dude tripped like yeah it makes sense yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh you know also Oscorp might not be two weeks from death if he hadn't spent all the extra money embossing the logo on all the concrete columns throughout the building <laughs> <laughs> You know, like that's, that seems a little much to me. Like you're a lab. You don't need that. Everyone knows where you are. <laughs> yeah. No, it's Very spared true. no expense. Yeah. Uh, in terms <laughs> yeah. of putting there's together a, a Destiny lab. There's a bit of awkward ADR here where uh, he asks Strom for the promachloroparacine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Strom says, what for? Like he asks why, like, why, why do you need this? And he says that uh, it it starts the catalyzation when the vapor hits the bloodstream. Now, here's my question: mm-hmm. if, if Strom has, and I have the answer to this, so it's a it's it's not a it's not a real question. It's a rhetorical okay, cool. question. Yeah. Right. So we'll so if Strom start were, there. if Strom is is uh in charge or a major part in partner or whatever of the performance enhancers, wouldn't he know full well what the promachloroparacine is? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, what it's, what, what its purpose is. It and, seems like a pretty the, big step. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, and so I, that line is always, always, always bothered me mm-hmm. and watching it this time. I was like, that's ADR. What is the deal with that? So I'm looking in the shooting script mm-hmm. and it turns out that the actual line, and if you look at Norman's lips when he asks for the promachloroparacine, it does not match up at all because what he's actually asking for is barium phosphate. What? And when Strom says, when Strom asks why, Osborne's response in the script is it decreases nausea. When the vapor hits the bloodstream, huh? In ADR, huh. they changed it so that it was a catalyst rather than a nausea decreasement, and I think it's hmm. because because he played the following line before he's about to drink it. He plays the line of like forty thousand years of human evolution, and we barely even tapped the vastness of human potential. He's such a drama queen there. Yes, that, yes. And like he downs it and smashes the bottle. Yeah, and the bottle becomes so important. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so if if that's just a thing that decreases nausea, it's like, man, this guy is a drama queen. Like <laughs> <laughs> And so my theory is that uh they they redid it in ADR because they were like, this doesn't make any sense if yeah. it's just 
if it's just like hopped up Pepto-Bismol. Like this doesn't right. make any <laughs> sense. It's getting you some Zofrin just to make sure you don't yak uh, during the procedure here, buddy. Uh, yeah, right. no, that makes total sense in terms of the like that patchwork approach to uh, movie making as, as all movies are to a certain degree where you. I mean, the old yarn is that you make the movie three times, right? Where you, mm-hmm. you write the script, you, which you, is making... Yeah, the, you write yeah. you write the movie three times. Yeah, You write the movie three times, yeah. You write it while you create the script so that you're like, oh, we have the movie now. And then you write it while you're shooting on the day when things change or you adjust for all sorts of factors. Mm-hmm. And then a third time you write the movie when you're assembling the edit to finally right. put the thing together. And there's, there's so many points along the way where things can change. And sometimes uh, a, a problem might not seem like a problem in the script form that by the time you get to the edit, you're like, Oh, we should change something here to fix this. And like in the mm-hmm. translation from page to performance, I think Defoe w- keyed in on the fact that this is a pretty dramatically phrased line and we're going to shoot it in this close up here. And you know, it's the moment right before this big transformation happens. It should have some weight and gravitas behind it, but not, not with the, with the, you know, we, uh, uh, Pepto-Bismol type, uh, medication, you know, that like we, we, we moved on to focusing on emotions and the, like how the, the shape of the scene goes in terms of the, the rising drama of it and then forgot about the actual logistics of the science. And so then by the time you're in the edit, you're like, I'm not going to sacrifice this awesome. I mean, he sells the crap out of that, you know, human potential line before throwing it away. Like that is, that's worth, having to do some awkward rejiggering earlier on. Like it does make Strom look way dumber, uh, but who cares? Cause like, <laughs> right. We get Willem he's, Dafoe. He's dead. In, he's dead in two minutes anyway. So whatever. Yeah. So like, I'm not worried about like long lasting feelings towards this character or, <laughs> or another one like that. But I love, that's a great little window. That's why it's so handy to have the shooting script as a, a text to refer mm-hmm. back to because Otherwise, we could be sitting here in the sort of Thermian argument for however long we're recording today. You, you know, in like um, in Galaxy Quest, how the uh, the Thermians, which are like a race of aliens. If you've never seen Galaxy Quest, they're a race of aliens who like receive transmissions from Earth of like televisions and television shows and movies and stuff and think that they're literal documentaries, you know, that they mm-hmm. they interpret them as historical documents of things that actually happened. And that that world exists, really. You'll run into sometimes when you're wondering a lot about a film you'll run into this like knee-jerk response of something dan elson calls the thermian argument where people will be like well obviously this had to happen because of some reason within the actual text of the movie and often it's not that it's wow this is such a great line deliver we have to work around that or oh we forgot that that was just about you know where the coffee was supposed to be on the day and we had to hide xyz like it, it the process of making has to i mean that doesn't have to be when you're watching the movie but when you're analyzing why a choice was made it's always handy to keep in mind that it's not only just in universe reasons that things happen and this is like a nice little example of that that some some goofiness happened in terms of filming this and how do we rescue it and what's worth rescuing about it and like the right the the character definition of dr strom here is less important than having this cool moment before the transformation so yeah. right. I don't know. That's Actually, um, thinking about I, I looked yeah. up what uh, what promochloroperazine is. Uh, uh-huh. and it's, oh. it, it's not an actual drug. Um, so I'm I'm wondering if if Defoe flubbed it, but there is a drug in the real world called prochloroperazine, uh, mm. which is 
incidentally used to treat nausea and vomiting, but is also used <laughs> to treat, interestingly, anxiety and schizophrenia. So a little bit of an Easter egg there for what's about to happen to Pernod. Hey, oh. hey, that's not bad at all. Yeah. Like whatever time between the end of principal photography and editing when they're like, oh, we got to find a better, a better thing to put in there. Like what would right. be like, you know, some somebody on uh, on staff was like researching and they're like, oh, this this one sounds cool enough. And by the way, schizophrenia. Yeah. Yeah. Now we slide. That uh, they also uh, at some like on the day, because it doesn't look like they shot it or if they did, it was in a different take. Um, mm -hmm. Because in in the script, he says the human potential line. Then he looks to Strom and says, to the final realization of man's true physical and intellectual capability. And then he drinks mm. like, like, a, like a toast, right, um, right. which like like, I, I like drama queen Osborne way better. I, <laughs> yeah. Just like human potential gets to the idea quick, throw it down. Let's go. Um, it would be I nice love that he throws it down yeah. too. Cause that's such a yeah. dick move. Like it's just, <laughs> cause Someone's like somebody's somebody, now. Yeah, somebody's yeah. got to clean that up. Exactly. He and he's just, just like, I don't care. Yeah. My name's on the building. <laughs> My name's on the building and not just the building, but everywhere. So you'll yeah. never forget. <laughs> now it's clean like, this up. Everyone's a janitor to me. Yeah. <laughs> How long is your Smash. laptop? <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of contrast, though, one of the things I do love about Defoe's performance here because it, it he does ramp up the theatrics there so high, but that he mm -hmm. doesn't lose sight of uh, Osborne being like a human. One of my favorite things in movies is spotting little moments that I am almost positive were just uh, a little thing that was come up on, while the shot was running, not in the script. And for me, mm -hmm. it's he has the big speech. They're talking about all the comic booky stuff. He throws down the glass, whatever. He sits down into the chamber to about to do it. And he is still human enough to react to the metal shroud and go, "Ooh, it's cold. In, yeah. in, you know, like not in any sort of like, uh, I'm still big, bad villain way. Not, it's just like a, a, this little human moment of like, oh, God, that's cool. It makes him vulnerable and relatable in uh -huh. this moment where he could just be the awful drama queen where I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's a person. That's like a real person. Yeah. As much as a person can seem like a real person in this scenario that I, I know I had a um, an acting teacher who used to talk about when you come across a block of text in often it's like a famous play, like something people have seen a lot of times like Hamlet, you know, where the, the trick with Hamlet, if you haven't seen like a performance of Hamlet in a while, if you only like read it as a text in school, there's a thing that can happen where you watch Hamlet and in the back of your mind, it's almost like you're watching a greatest hits thing because there's so many lines in Hamlet that have become cultural phrases in the English canon that the, the line itself takes you out of the play. Like it's hard to hear somebody say to be or not to be and believe that they're contemplating suicide. It feels like you're watching a play at that moment. And I had an acting uh -huh. teacher that talked about like when you come to one of those texts that is so overt and out there and that like people are bringing their own associations to it. He would almost rather you focused on a pebble that was irritating you in your shoe than on like the the grand literary uh, like weight of that line in the moment mm -hmm. because if you're sitting there you know looking out to people and 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 being all like to be or not to be or some some sort of like trying to put that energy into it versus like you know pinching your your toe onto your other toe and wondering why 
why your socks don't really work so well today. Why is that seam there? And you go to be or not to be, you know, like you're thinking like that, some, that mm-hmm. switch there, that, that moment of, um, reacting to your actual, yeah, that contemplation, the actual circumstances that you're in brings people in. Like when, when we don't just see you giving us the info or giving us the metaphor, when you see you, see you giving us, oh, I'm a person in circumstances. And for, so for me, a, an example of that is Osborne feeling the cold of that thing mm-hmm. is reminding us that he's a person experiencing this in, in what, what's real to him. I don't know. I just love that moment. I, it's also funny. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I also like it because it's sort of establishing that going into this experiment, like before he, his origin even happens, Norman Osborn is already not literally schizophrenic, you know, split personality. He is, yeah. which I understand is not the same thing, but uh, he he is already two people. He's of two minds. Yeah. And when yeah. he becomes the goblin, it is the guy who is telling Strom not to be a coward and the guy who is very dramatic about human potential and smashing the thing. That's the guy that is turned into the goblin. Yeah. The guy who says, oh, it's, it's cold. That's the guy who is begging the goblin to stop throughout this yeah. movie. Yeah. That's the guy like down on his hands and knees on his like fancy carpet being like, tell me how like that. Yeah. That energy is the same there. And that he's, you know, even I I don't know to what degree um, like Defoe broke this down in analysis terms beforehand, but we do know they had the long rehearsal period. And he talked a lot about um, touching base with Tobey Maguire about his approach to the script because he'd been working with it longer in terms of planning out this sort of uh, dual um, uh, origin story and then meeting later on that he, he said he was impressed with Toby's analysis skills basically that Toby spent a lot of time doing homework basically um, in the work up to this movie just trying to figure out how to relate to the character through the script and I I would it would not surprise me at all if he literally like broke down uh, parallel paths of Goblin Norman versus uh, you know more meek uh, uh, Father Norman character as like separate people to address and say how do we set that up earlier but it also might just be him you know reacting in the moment and if he's if he's that in tune with the character that those moments come up for analysis and fit because they were appropriate choices in the moment anyway you know that like you can spontaneously come up with things that the director and the editor catch later in the edit and say i don't know if he meant to do this but this works perfectly let's keep that you know like um Mm -hmm you're kind of you're kind of shooting in the dark a little bit uh when you're performing and it's nice to have it all come together like this so i don't know who to credit for that uh through line being there but it is great uh that we see it this early on um well the 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 line the the it's cold line is not in any version of the script so it's yeah it's definitely an ad lib by nor by uh willem dafoe something that he mm-hmm. asked to be shot so yeah um so yeah, I mean, I, I I would I would you know you can never know these things for sure, but I'm I would mm-hmm. lean towards Willem Dafoe being responsible for this right line. Yeah, if if not ad libbing it in the moment, at least coming up with it on the day in terms of like, oh, mm-hmm. this would be you know that would be fun, right? Uh, right, because pretty much all the actors talk about how how Sam Raimi was so um, game to take suggestions and uh, to try out ideas uh, during the process of making this, which is. 
how how it should be, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. If you have enough time and enough preparation, uh, it, it 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 frees you up a bit to um mm-hmm. to land on things you might not have expected or earlier. I'm I'm sure the version that's in the script plays just fine, but it would have been a great loss to the film, um, in my opinion, if we didn't have that little it's cold line because I love it so much. Right. So in the shooting script, uh, as we've talked about before, um, and, you know, we mentioned it just a second ago, you know, you write the script three times, you write it, mm-hmm. the script, you, you shoot the movie and you're writing it on the day and then you're, you're really writing the movie again uh, in post. And this mm-hmm. is a good example of this because in both drafts of the script that we've been talking about, uh, this scene falls on page 30-ish. It's on page 30 oh, wow. in the shooting script. And then I think it's on page like 35 in David Kep's draft. It's hard to tell in David Kep's draft because there's no page numbers in the draft that I'm looking at. Um, oh, I but, see. Uh, yeah. But it's around, it's around like between 30 and 35. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so Jay, one of the things that we've been talking about, David Kep, uh, the writer of Jurassic Park is the, uh, writer who got solo screenwriting credit on this film. However, his final draft of the movie actually bears very little similarity to the actual finished film. Sure. Uh, the WGA, um, well, not even the WGA during arbitration for screenwriting credit. The other three writers that wrote, worked on this script all gave up their rights to David Kep for some reason. I don't know if they had something on him or what the deal was, but, uh, <laughs> but, but they gave up their rights to have their name on this script. So David Kep has, he retained a uh, sole screenwriting credit. Uh, but in his mm-hmm. version of this scene, we are actually, um, which takes place after the introduction of Jameson. Um, mm-hmm. he, Sp- and Spider-Man, Spider-Man is a thing. Jameson's a thing. And he said he's looking at a picture of Spider-Man and he says to Robbie, is there a man alive who could give this lunatic a fight? And then you transition from Spider-Man to Norman and uh-huh. Norman and Harry are going to Oscorp together. And uh, Norman said, asks Harry if he's going to disappoint him today. And Harry doesn't say anything. Uh, they go inside, they get in the elevator. Harry starts begging Norman, like, please don't make me do this. And Osborne <laughs> says, you wanted to learn, so you're going to learn. And they go inside as they're going into the, into this underground lab. Osborne is saying, I abhor weakness. I don't permit it in myself. I won't tolerate it in you. Running a company is a lot more than handing out paychecks. So they go inside the lab. <laughs> And we meet uh, our our main, the guy who's in charge of all of the research and development at Oscorp, Dr. Otto Octavius. Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, Dr. Octavius is there. Um, he is in the, uh, the arm suit. A lab worker comes up to him and says, hey, Mr. Osborne's here. Uh, he wants to talk to you. And he's like, oh, OK. So he he hits a he hits a switch and steps out of the uh, his arms and mm-hmm. um, walks over to Osborne and, and is pouring himself some coffee and stuff. And uh, 
he's uh he's basically like asking him for updates about everything he's like what are you working on he's like human performance enhancers he goes through the whole thing about the about the lab rats and the side effects and all of that that we talked about Mm -hmm. in the scene from last week yeah um and then uh he's like he's like but don't worry we're close enough that uh you can guarantee yourself another fortune norman and norman says that's what i'd hope to hear and octavius says well if that's all and he starts to step back into his metal corset when Harry steps up to him really nervously and says, Dr. Octavius and Otto like looks back at him, like what, what do you want? And Norman looks at Harry like, well, and then Harry kind of freaks out and just like runs out of the lab and Norman just rolls his eyes and he turns to Otto and says, how long have you been working with this company? Octavius says five years. Norman says close Four years, 364 days. Tomorrow will be five days. Tomorrow, your stock options will vest and you will become a disturbingly wealthy man. That would be tomorrow. Today, you are fired. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. Um, So I want to I'll get into I'll get into more of that scene tomorrow because mm-hmm. this is yeah. the origin of, of of the green goblin scene is in this um but i'll get uh-huh. into more of it tomorrow uh-huh. as we keep going with the scene but uh yeah norman in the david Keptraft, you know he's not willem defoe's norman he is the norman from mm. the comic books yeah he he's yeah he's the norman osborne that you want to see uh played by uh, uh what's his name from house of cards Ke- kevin uh, spacey, oh, kevin spacey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know this is this yeah, is a kevin spacey edge. norman osborne yeah right right uh, this this is that's who you want to see playing this osborne uh mm-hmm. and it's cool like it's cool to see this version of the character yeah, because uh, like I I love the movie that we got, and I wouldn't want yeah. like we've talked about many times. I wouldn't want Sam Raimi to have directed the movie that David Kep wrote. I think right. Sam Raimi directed exactly the Spider-Man movie that he was supposed to direct. Yes, <laughs> but 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 uh, but I would have loved to have seen David Kep's Spider-Man script produced as a different movie from a different director. Like, I think that there's something really cool here. Um, It is. um, Yeah. It's, 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 it's got a harder edge to it and not just in, I mean, part of the fun of this uh, setup that we have is that I still haven't seen the, the script that Scott refers back to all the time. So like the, the picture in my mind that appears of the final David Kep draft, it becomes like more and more uh, elaborate as we go on. But even in, (laughs) In the introductions to to um, Peter Parker and Flash and uh, and Mary Jane and Harry that we've seen so far, and this this Norman scene, it is a fundamentally different tone, um, and I think a real snappy, interesting one. But uh, yeah. but th- I mean, if you're going to make the version like we've said before, um, if we're if you're going to make the version of this movie with the type of energy that Tobey Maguire brings to it when you cast around that central figure, what sort of Harry Osborn green goblin works best with that protagonist and this Mm -hmm. sort of, sort of softer uh, two sided um, Norman uh, with a lot more of this, this father intrigue. I mean, mean, we cut out a scene of father intrigue obviously earlier, but um, this slightly gentler, slightly more nuanced, slightly more round uh, character feels appropriate. I, I, I yeah. um, 
I, that is well, so, that's such a cool contrast. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. He fills such an important role for Peter as the, as the film moves forward too, you know, with the, the, mm-hmm. he's a role model. Yeah. And yeah. You wouldn't get that with, with the version we just, we just heard about. Cause I mean, that's just mm-hmm. villainous straight through. Um, right. Oh, sure. Sounds fascinating yeah. though. God, I yeah. want to see that movie now. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about how, uh, you know, one of the things from from day one in the in the comics, uh, you know, back in the Lee Ditko era, like from day one, the thing that separated Spider-Man from a lot of other uh, superheroes of the time is that he was always involved in a Betty Veronica kind of love and love triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, he, he always, you know, in the very beginning it was Betty Brandt and, 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 uh, Liz Allen. Um, that was like the first love triangle. Then that eventually evolved into the Gwen MJ love triangle as, as mm-hmm. it went from, uh, Ditko to Ramita. But that is never, that that's never done in any of the movies because it's, it's a soap opera and you can't do that in a movie, but what you a, can yeah, do is, is establish yeah. a love triangle of a different kind, which is a fatherly love triangle between Norman, yeah. Harry and Peter. Yep. Yeah. And that's what they did. And it's cool. It's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very cool way of adapting yeah. that material. Yeah. Yeah. So. That if you're not, and cause I, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure they expected this movie to be quite successful, but I don't know if it was the modern approach to, uh, we're making this movie and we've already got an idea for six sequels like lined up already. They were like, how do we tell a two hour story of Spider-Man? You can't do Mm -hmm. the long form, like soap operatic, uh, you know, relationship back and forths of the, the teen drama shenanigans, but you could do a, you know, almost, um, almost Greek tragedy type, uh, father, you know, uh, son, you know, uh, uh, I don't know how to finish that that sentence, but you know what I'm grokking at there, like, like that. Uh, yeah. You can do this slightly uh, more intimate and um, and truncated relationship focus. That's not about you know the romance so much, but it is is more about like family and lineage and legacy and you know mm-hmm. I I think that's why we get later on that scene uh, that some people sometimes call it like the the Power Rangy Power Rangersy type scene on the rooftop with. Uh, Peter all suited up and Norman all suited up where Mm -hmm. it feels weird and mythical and strange. And like, where does that tone come from? I think it comes from that type of uh, that thematic focus being at the, at the crux of this movie rather than any of the other types of drama they could have gone with. Um, I think it works great uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of it. It's not always, you know, uh, lacking in clunkiness, but for the most part, it's very functional and that that's part of it. Like the earlier scene we talked about and this, contrast with well what type of norman works best for that drama this type Mm -hmm. and and i think it was a it's a smart choice yeah um so i think uh, i think that about wraps up uh, yeah (laughs) yeah minute 16 this minute yeah definitely yeah where we Um, go careening off (laughs) you have any final thoughts jay before we move on uh so so i i i really I, I, I like that this is where I'm pulled in because this is such an interesting series of scenes that I'm part of to, mm-hmm. to watch because seeing, seeing the, the, the turn of Norman and then uh, later on down the road, no spoilers if you haven't seen the film, but <laughs> uh, we get some moments with Peter later on. Uh, oh yeah. It's, it's just, 
so neat to see uh, to, to see the development of these characters. And I haven't I haven't revisited this movie in years. So it's uh, yeah. It's, it's, when do you think was the fun. last time you watched it? Yeah. Like be- before. Do you have a clear memory of like the last time you sat down or like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man night or something? Um, it was like, was it, it at was least probably, five years ago or something? It was probably about four years ago. It was probably right yeah. around my my son turned four because he he adores Spidey. Mm. Um, oh. we, we watched we watched Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Um, mm-hmm. Because I mean, Spider-Man 2 is is my my absolute favorite uh, Spider-Man film. Um, yeah yeah and, and we watched we watched those two and he just he, he loved it and we just haven't watched them since because he uh he found sensational spider-man and ultimate spider-man cartoons and it's just been that non-stop yeah. since so fair <laughs> enough yeah yeah i respect um that. yeah we'll we'll definitely have we'll have a lot more spider-man questions to ask you uh in some lighter minutes um <laughs> so uh We'll save the, the bulk of that discussion for a little later in the week, but uh, sure. we'll be back tomorrow with minute 17. Um, in the meantime, uh, we have a listener group on Facebook, uh, the yes. Spider-Man minute uh, friendly neighborhood listeners group. Uh, so go check that out. If you want to talk about Spider-Man with, uh, with, uh, you know, other like-minded individuals and people listening to the show. So go check that mm-hmm. out and uh, we will be back tomorrow with minute 17. Bye. Bye, guys.